always a danger preaching a sermon on a biblical account that most became familiar with in a much lighter setting in Sunday school. And undoubtedly when you hear the name Jonah, you immediately think of that man, you think of that prophet of Israel who is trapped in the belly of a whale for three days. And yet before we can get to that remarkable narrative recorded for us in the second chapter of this book, we first need to read about the calling of Jonah, a calling to preach to the people of Nineveh. Now to better understand the significance of this call, we need to note that the people of Nineveh were among the most notorious enemies of Israel during this time. And even though Israel was enjoying some measure of prosperity during the late 700s BC, they continued to endure regular attacks from Assyria. And the capital of Assyria was Nineveh. So it is while bearing this context in mind that we read the first two verses of this book. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. God's call to Jonah was simple. Go to Nineveh. Preach to the people there on account of their wickedness. But Jonah evidently had absolutely no interest in this call. In verse 3 we read, But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. Not only did Jonah want to steer clear of Nineveh, but the text twice indicates that Jonah was trying to flee from the presence of the Lord. Well, what's going on here? Jonah is a prophet. He's a prophet of Israel. He's a prophet of Yahweh. Why does he want to run away? Why does he refuse what the Lord asks of him? Jonah actually answers that question for us in the fourth chapter of this book. In chapter 4, verse 2, we get this answer. And what had happened just before Jonah gives this answer, the Lord had relented to punish Nineveh. Nineveh had repented, and so the Lord didn't bring about the punishment that he had threatened. And so Jonah says, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God. Slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. So the reason for Jonah's disobedience is confessed unashamedly. He couldn't have cared less about these people. He couldn't have cared less about the people of Nineveh. This people, these people were God's and they were Israel's enemies. And Jonah had no interest in helping them receive mercy. Jonah appears, if we're honest, to harbor some xenophobic tendencies. He clearly seems to have an interest only for Israel. And no interest in what's going on anywhere else. And this is clearly not suitable for one of God's prophets. And so I'm tempted to judge Jonah harshly. 
And yet, I don't want to miss an underlying principle which applies to me and applies to you. God sometimes calls us to do some things that we're naturally not inclined to do. God sometimes asks you to do things that you're not naturally inclined to do. And what we learn from this account in Jonah is the foolishness of resisting a call from God. The foolishness of going in a direction that is contrary to the will of God. Notice that in one sense, Jonah had the ability, the real ability to choose between going to Nineveh and fleeing to Tarshish. And when Jonah chose to disobey the Lord, when he chose to flee to Tarshish, notice that the Lord did not immediately stop him. The Lord let him run a bit. Jonah made it to Joppa where he found a ship that was headed for Tarshish. He was able to pay the fare and buy a ticket and he was able to get on that ship. Well, if you've ever attempted to resist God, if you've ever attempted to get away from God, you may want to have a close look at this text. And of course, we don't, we, we don't have the ability to get away from God's presence. When I talk about getting away from God or fleeing the presence of the Lord, what I'm talking about is our attempt to get away from what we know God wants us to do. Because we can't get away from God. There's no place we can go where God isn't there. When we say that we're running from God, when we say we're fleeing from His presence, what we're really saying is we're running from that thing that God wants us to do. We're running from that call that He has upon our life. If that's ever described you, then the story of Jonah has a lesson for us. I think it's important again to note that God allows Jonah to make some headway according to Jonah's wishes. At least initially, God lets Jonah have his way. And this has likely been your experience as well. When you're disobeying God, when you're doing something contrary to His will, God's normal response is not to rearrange the stars of heaven to say, stop right there. I see what you're doing. Don't go any further. God doesn't do that. If you stop reading your Bible for a while, God doesn't send an angel into your living room and say, you know, you haven't picked up this book in a few weeks or a few months or a few years. He doesn't send an angel asking you to pick it up and read. If you stop attending church services, if you stop gathering with God's people, God's normal course of action isn't to shout at you from heaven. No, God's pattern is to let you run for a while. As evidenced in the life of Jonah, when we disobey God, He usually allows us to wander. But as we will soon see, God does not let His children wander indefinitely. This is because God is not held captive by your choices. God is not thwarted by your will. God has the power to bring us back into fellowship with Him. And this is precisely what we see in the story of Jonah. 
Jonah's allowed to flee to Joppa. He's allowed to go as far as to buy a ticket and to even get on a ship headed for Tarshish. But eventually the Lord got in the way of that. Eventually the Lord intervened and he intervened decisively. The text says in verse 4, the Lord sent a great wind, a wind so fierce that the ship threatened to break up. We're told that all the sailors were afraid and cried out to his own God. I don't have a lot of experience on the sea. I know many of you own boats and and you're, you're very comfortable out on the sea. If I need to go any distance at all, I do what most people do. I, I get on a plane. And I'm not a nervous flyer. I'm, I'm one who I can sleep easily on a plane with little or no anxiety. Uh, but when there's severe turbulence, I do probably what many of you do. When there's severe turbulence, what's the first thing you do? You look at the flight attendants. If they're still smiling, if they're still pouring drinks, then you know this is ordinary turbulence, nothing to worry about. But if there's turbulence, and there's a look of anxiety on the faces of your flight attendants, if, if they're moving the service carts to the back of the plane, then you know this is serious, and you get nervous. So how bad was this storm if all the sailors of the ship are terrified and all the sailors are shouting out each to their own God? How bad was this storm? And yet as the storm raged, we're told that Jonah was down below having a little nap. We're told the captain had to wake Jonah up. And the captain demanded that Jonah call upon his God. And there's a certain amount of irony in that order from the captain. Because why did Jonah get on this ship in the first place? He got on this ship to get away from his God. Now he's under captain's orders to call upon his God. The irony thickens as the sailors cast lots to find out who's responsible for this storm. And the lot fell on Jonah. So the sailors immediately gather around Jonah, asking him 101 questions. Tell us who you are. Where did you come from? What's, what's your story? And Jonah, who had previously refused to preach to pagans, gives this reply. I am a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. And the sailors were terrified even more. And they said, what do we need to do? What do we need to ask of your God to make this go away? What do we do? Jonah says, throw me overboard and everything will be fine. I don't know if he was being courageous or cowardly. In any event, the, the sailors didn't listen to Jonah. They just tried to row harder. But what good is rowing harder when this is the Lord's will? When this is the Lord's intervention, no amount of rowing is going to make things work. So finally, when, when the course of action of rowing does not work, when calling upon Jonah's God does not change things, they throw Jonah overboard. And immediately the raging sea is calm. So think through this account. The ejection of Jonah from this ship 
in the total derailment of his plans to get to Tarshish is a clear sign that who is in control? God is in control of this situation. As Jonah's will pushed against God's will, we learn a few things about God's sovereignty. The first thing we learn is that God's sovereignty does not make us robots. This is very important. This is usually the first objection you hear from someone when you talk about God's sovereignty. But clearly as we look at this text, God's sovereignty does not make us robots. By our own will, we make plans and execute choices every single day. Here it is, I don't know what it is, shortly past 11 in the morning. I've probably made a hundred choices this morning. And as far as I can tell, the Lord has not intervened or countered any of them. We're not robots. We're allowed to make plans. We're allowed to make choices. But here in Jonah, we're reminded, you're not sovereign. I'm not sovereign. Therefore, our choices do not necessarily get the last word. This is very important because we're so used to going through life with so few of our choices being challenged or countered. But we must realize as we come to God's word, there is someone who can intervene. Jonah made a choice to run away from the Lord. Jonah made a choice to go to Joppa. Jonah made a choice to buy a ticket and to board a ship. But God had another plan for Jonah. God exercised his power in such a way as to prevent Jonah from reaching his destination of choice. More succinctly, God's will trumped Jonah's will. God's will trumped Jonah's will because God is sovereign. And if you haven't realized it already, the doctrine of God's sovereignty is hugely, massively relevant for your life and for mine. We can make plans, we can make choices, but God will have the final say. If you belong to God, if Christ has redeemed you, it is impossible, impossible for you to ultimately flee from God. God may allow you to wander for a season. You may make some choices that are contrary to His will, some choices that are contrary to His call upon your life, But eventually be sure of this. God will have his way with you. We don't have time for my personal testimony. But I think it's a lot like Jonah's. No, I've never been in the belly of a whale. But I resonate with this story. That Bryn McPhail wanted to go in a particular direction as a young man. But God wouldn't let me get there. He let me get... I made some progress... Some of the poor decisions were made. Some of the poor plans were allowed to be executed. But eventually God would have his way with Bryn McPhail. Just as he had his way with Jonah. Jonah was allowed to run. But God would not let him get away. Jonah had an agenda for his life. But at the end of the day it was God's agenda for Jonah that was realized. 
Friends, I want to submit to you that the story of Jonah is also a microcosm of the story of humanity. What do I mean? I mean for thousands of years, for thousands of years, humanity has been attempting to flee from the presence and call of God. But God in His sovereignty determined to pursue us and rescue us. Instead of allowing humanity to be the author of our own destruction, God determined to preserve a people for Himself by sending His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our hymn well puts it, Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God. He to rescue me from danger bought me with his precious blood. Dear friends, if God has called you to himself, he will not let you go. He will not let you get away. Wander at your own peril, but God will ultimately bring you back. There's an account in John's Gospel. It's it's an account that doesn't get a lot of attention, but I think of it often. There's an account in John's Gospel where in response to the challenging teachings of Jesus, we're told that many of his disciples turned their back and stopped following Jesus. I guess maybe that doesn't preach well. You know, Jesus says a bunch of things, calls people to do a bunch of things, and and almost everybody leaves. That doesn't preach well. I think about that text all the time. In response to the teachings of Jesus, John writes, many of his disciples turned away and stopped following him. I point this out to show that Jonah wasn't the first to turn his back on God and Jonah won't be the last to turn his back on God and and you and I I suspect are tempted at times to go our own way and to do our own thing just as Jonah did it may not be a call to go to some faraway place that we're resisting it might be a simple call to love Jesus and to do what he says and to pursue Christ's likeness it might be that call that we're resisting It's possible that you've examined all that Christ would require of you from this book and you've determined, well, that's just too difficult. That's too burdensome. Again, I want to speak personally to that if I can. I know what it's like to want to resist God's call. I don't know if that surprises you. I don't know if if you expect uh, the person who occupies this pulpit to never be tempted to go in the other direction than God. But like probably all of you, I know what it's like to be tempted to resist God's call. And I'm not as different from Jonah as I'd like to be. But whenever I feel these Jonah-like tendencies welling up within me, my mind goes to that passage in John when many of the disciples turned away and stopped following Jesus. Because when many turned away and stopped following, do you remember what happened next? Do you remember how Jesus turned to the twelve that remained and he asked them this question? Do you want to leave too? Do you want to leave too? 
And I imagine Jesus asking me that question. Take a minute each for yourself. Picture Jesus asking you, do you want to leave also? At that moment, we must own Peter's response. Own it for yourself. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. May that be your response when you feel those Jonah-like tendencies welling up within you. May you say as Peter did, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and there's no place on earth I can go where I can be as secure as in your presence. Again, wander at your own peril. But be assured of this. God will bring you back. Some of you know this. Some of you are this story. Some of you are here today having been brought back by God who pursued you and rescued you and brought you back into a relationship with Him. It's probably also the case that there are people here this morning who are running. Yes, you've come to St. Andrew's Kirk. Yes, you've been engaged in a worship service. Yes, you're physically present. But for some of you, there's a sense in which your heart is running away. Your mind is wandering from God's truth. Friends, wander at your own peril. But if you belong to God, He will most definitely bring you back. I'm a living, living testimony of this, and some of you are as well. Perverse and foolish, off I strayed, but yet in love He sought me, and on His shoulder gently laid, and home rejoicing brought me. We need not be a Jonah. We need not run from the Lord who is our shepherd. There is no shepherd like Him. There is no king like Him. There is no Lord and God like Him. We must stop our running. And we must enjoy the loving presence and providence of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.